to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Praise Diere. <laughs> Amen. Diere is good. Amen. Okay. <laughs> the lifter fan Jesus is wonderbar, is wonderbar, is wonderbar. The lifter fan Jesus is wonderbar, is wonderbar for me. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm told when we go to heaven, we will speak Afrikaans. <laughs> so I'm trying to learn Afrikaans. <laughs> Phrase his name. <laughs> yeah. I want to speak about desperation and discovery. Desperation and discovery. That's the theme of my talk this morning. Desperation and discovery. I have to use this gadget because white people love this thing. Uh, uh, we black people, God bless us with time. <laughs> so we, we don't worry about this thing. Because when... God created time, he gave it to Africans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was in Switzerland, in Geneva, uh, my wife and I were about to board the, uh, I mean, to get into the train, and there came the intercom, says, we do apologize. For 30 seconds delay of the train. I said, what? <laughs> Apologizing for 30 seconds. <laughs> In Africa, we don't, even one hour, we don't have apologize. <laughs> we are still on time. <laughs> Praise his name. I hope you can see me because it's a bit dark here. I... Uh, <laughs> At least you can see my teeth, all right. <laughs> I'll try to smile as much as I can. <laughs> Praise his name. <clears throat> From desperation to discovery. Um, I was invited to preach in a big church about 4,000 members. And uh, it was a midweek service. I don't know how it was announced, but only one person came. Only one person appeared. And uh, so the pastor was disappointed. And the pastor said, uh, Hey, Mr. Lungu, uh, you can just pray that we go home. I said, Pastor, no. I came here, you invited me to preach. And so I'll preach to one man. And I preached my heart out. 
as if I was preaching to 10,000. And I made an appeal to one man. <laughs> and one man came forward. <laughs> so I had a 100% conversion. <laughs> that man was crying. And I led him to Jesus. And uh, that one young man has started his own church, which is a 10,000-seater church, and has got churches in England, America, all over the world. But he was alone when he came forward. One man. Amen. So today I'll preach as if I've got one million. <laughs> Praise his name. Okay, let's read uh, from the book as I base my testimony from these scriptures. Um, we'll read Mark chapter 4 from verse 35. And then pick up a few words from chapter 5. And we are looking at this story, basing my testimony out of these verses. I won't go elaborate on all those uh, verses, but just pick up a few words. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I was 22 years old when God opened my eyes to read his book. So the first book I ever read was the Bible. Because I've never been in school, I've never been in front of a teacher. And I don't know who is the teacher, how he looks like. But uh, God has been my teacher. So at the age of 22, I didn't know how to write even my own name. And I didn't know my surname. The surname I'm called today, Lungu, is not my father's surname. Because I didn't know my identity. I didn't know who I was. I grew up in the streets without knowing my own identity. And the only name I knew was Stephen. And not knowing how to read and write. But God in his mercy, at the age of 22, after fasting for two weeks, no food, no water, God opened my eyes to read his book. So that was the first book I ever read. So I want to prove to you that I'm able to read. Praise his name. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I'll pick up a few words here and there. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Let us go to the other side. Now you ask your question, that's evening. And Jesus is commanding his disciples to go over 
the other side. They were going to risk their lives because of chapter 5. Of chapter 5, where there was a demonic person. But they were going to risk their lives when they were going at that evening time the other side. But number two, they were leaving the crowd behind. Our preachers today, they like crowds. Our preachers today, they want thousands of people. And they cannot, they buy their jets, but they cannot fly over to go and see one person. Because they like crowds. They are doctors. They are apostles. They are prophets. They are, uh, you know, major prophets, you know, we hear now. Now for us, we have given them one title, Buppet. Buppet is for bishop, A for apostle, P for prophet, P for <laughs> preacher, E for evangelist, R for reverend, T for teacher. So we give them all of them at once, Buppet. <laughs> they can never go for one person or risk their lives for one person. And uh, he left the crowd. And other people would have said, Jesus, how come you leave the crowd? But they didn't know what he had in his heart, his mind, that over the other side, there was this man, Legion, because he didn't know his name, demonic, staying in the tombs. He was crossing, risking his life for one man. That means you and I are special, are unique. Amen. Whether you have got a long nose or a flat nose, you are unique. You are special. Whether you are black or colored or Indian, you are special. Are we together? You are unique. There is no one in the whole world like me. In fact, my, my wife told me, you are the most handsome man in the whole world. And it was right. <laughs> there's no one. I mean, there's no one. I'm just me. Hallelujah. Are we together? Yeah. That's why she married me, because I was the most handsome man in the whole world. So if you don't believe it, it's your problem. <laughs> so I, I was telling my brother uh, this morning that I was terrified about marriage. I didn't want to get married. Many people look forward to getting married, but not for me. I didn't want to get married because what I saw my father doing to my mother I said, no marriage. I was terrified. And I put conditions to God on one condition, if you want me to get married. 
Because that girl will be someone's daughter. And her parents love her so much. So if you give me that girl, I've got to love her more than her parents. Are we together? I've got to love her more than, but before that, you have to deal with me. Many people come to pastors and say, Pastor, how can I find a good wife? And I always ask that man, are you good yourself if you want a good wife? Are you good yourself? So often you want a good husband, a good wife, but yourself you are not good. You are still bound by short temper, anger, unforgiveness, and you spoil that which is good. Are we together? So when I was going to marry, I said on one condition, God, deal with me first. Take away the angers, the unforgiveness, everything. Take away those things. And give me three things. Number one, give me that agape love. I will love my wife in spite of passionately, that her ears, now these ears for ladies are not for earrings. They are to hear how much you love her. Amen. Compliment. There are so many husbands who don't appreciate, who don't compliment, who don't appreciate the food she cooks. They eat and go and read the newspaper or sit by the TV. No thank you to the wife. There are so many husbands who don't appreciate their wives. They only open the door for her when they were falling in love. But now they are married, he blows the horn. Pimpi, hurry up. <laughs> they never open that door. I'm married 45 years and I've never stopped opening the door for my wife. <laughs> and that's the vow I made to the Lord I said she must hear literally every day I love you I appreciate you and number two what she hears she must see that love in action are we together she must see that love in action it's useless to tell her I love you but she doesn't see it because God in his, love, in his mercy never gave love to women. He never gave love to women. He gave to the man to put it into the woman. So when the wife says, I love you too, she's only retaining what you have put inside. Amen. <laughs> So if you put 50%, she gives exactly 50%. So don't expect 60 if you put 50. Are we together? So there was no love given to women. It was given to the men to pump it into the woman. So if you give 120, you have an, an angel in the house. Hallelujah. Because you have to create heaven for that angel. Create heaven for your wife. 
Because angels don't stay in hell. Are we together? If she's suffering, she's feeling hell, hey, turn it around and create heaven for her. Man, when you create heaven for her, she will truly, truly be an angel. Amen? So, ladies, when we go out now, don't go and open the door. Let them open the door. <laughs> if you get home, let him go around to open the door. If he doesn't, let him be hungry. <laughs> Today, many men are going to fast and pray. <laughs> Praise his name. Yeah, when they get they leave the crowd, number one, there was a great storm. Number one, they were faced with a great storm. Number one, great. Number two, they were faced by a great fear. There was a great storm, then there was a great fear. Number three, there was great prayer. When you have got great fear in you, you pray hard. There was great prayer. Jesus was only sleeping down there in the boat. Then there was great prayer. Number four, there was great answer. Five, there was a great rebuke. When Jesus woke up, rebuked the wind, then there was great peace. There was great peace. It was calm. And there was a great amazement. Wow. I don't know here how when you are amazed, do you do like this? Mm. Or do you say, wow? Wow, eh? You don't say, mm. No. You open your mouth. There was great amazement. But then when there was great amazement, there was great arrival the other side. Amen. There was a great arrival the other side. Then Jesus took out his leg into the land from the boat to the land. When his leg touched that land where the demonic person was, something was going to take place. There is no way Jesus can step in your life, nothing happens. When Jesus puts his leg into your life, something is about to take place. No matter how difficult it is, your situation may be, when Jesus steps in in that situation, something is about to take place. Hallelujah. Something is about to happen. And the second you find, in, that's in verse 2. But you see in chapter 5, verse 6, it was the demonic person when he saw Jesus. My brother, my sister, there's no way you can see Jesus 
and stand chewing your chewing gum, you know, with, with your cap backwards and with your pants downwards. No, when you see Jesus, you fall down prostrate. You kneel down to worship the king of kings. And uh, the last one was verse 15. Now the crowd, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who was demon-possessed. Three things. Number one, he was seated by the feet of Jesus. You know, when you sit at the feet of Jesus, that means peace. It is calm. It is quiet. You know, when a marriage sits at the feet of Jesus, that means peace. There is love, joy. Wow! Man, uh, when I got married, I said, God, I saw my father bashing my mother every day. There was no day I didn't see blood in the nose of my mother. So I said, God, I want to reverse that curse from my father. From my father, there was divorce, marry, divorce, marry, divorce, marry. From my mother, marry, divorce. It was a generation of divorces and divorces and divorces. So I said, God, I want to cut out that, that case of divorces. So from both generations, I'm the first who is married 45 years. <laughs> And I'm married 45 years. I still love my wife passionately. And I still love her. And I thank God. So when I was marrying, I said, God, if you give me this daughter, someone's daughter. And then the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Hey, Steve, if you marry that girl, she's going to be a drama in your life. I said, Drama? <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, people pay to the theaters to watch a drama. Is that right? But I'm giving that drama right in your house. <laughs> so I said, okay, thank you, Lord God. And I accepted that drama. We got married on the 20th of December. So I bought also notebooks. So from day one, I was writing notes about my wife. She didn't know that I was writing notes about her. And what she, you know, the way she walks, I would write notes. You know, the way she smiles, I write notes. She makes food, I write notes. She gets angry, I laugh at her. I'm angry, but you are laughing. I, I said, but I'm laughing. She didn't know that I'm laughing at the drama. You know, when, when she's angry with me, I didn't want to help her to be angry. So instead, I was laughing my my lungs out to watch this drama which is angry with me. <laughs> so I would do write notes and I was enjoying that drama every day. <laughs> so, you know, she saw that this man, I cannot make him angry. Well, how do I make him angry? Because I was watching the drama. Hallelujah. <laughs> Do you know, the women behave completely differently. When you write notes, you enjoy it. <laughs> Hallelujah. You will never have any room for anger. No. 
because you are enjoying the drama. Are we together? <laughs> oh. Hallelujah. So, this man had three things. He was seated at the feet of Jesus. Number two, he was dressed. Remember, he was naked in the tombs. But number two, he was dressed. In other words, he was dressed in the righteousness of God. He was dressed in the holiness of God. Number three, he was in his right mind. I've never seen a person who is in right mind except that one who is in Jesus Christ, but more than that, anointed by the Spirit of God upon his life. That's the person in his right mind. I mean, if you say you are born again, you are in the Spirit of God, but you shout at your wife, something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. Are we together? I, I'm, I know you not like me, but I'm a preacher. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, so that's how I'm, where I'm coming. Number three was in his right mind. And then later on he says, when Jesus was going away, he says, I want to follow. He says, no, go to your people and tell them great things God has done for you. Said he went back to Decapolis. One time he's a mad person. One time he's winning the whole seat of, of Decapolis. A man who, was, who had met with Jesus. I don't like these people who meet with Jesus. Who, you know, they walk with donkey faces. You know, they are gloomy. The pastor preaches about joy, but they've got long faces. I said, but the pastor was preaching about joy a minute ago. What is going like it? <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, my soul, there is where I come, I come in. My mother was forced to marry my father. It was an arranged marriage, a forced marriage. She was only 13 years old, uh, coming to school, going to school. As she went to school, her mind, she wanted to be a, a, a nurse. But her dreams were shattered one afternoon as she came from school. She was told we found her husband. Says, no, mom, I'm only 13 years old. I want to be a nurse. They said, no, we found your husband. And, you know, girls had no say about their lives. So she was forced to marry this man who was my father. But the man was about 50 years old. So a 50-year-old man marrying a 13-year-old girl. And they got married in the good Presbyterian church. But she was crying at a wedding day. That's what I was told. And then one day she realized she was pregnant. And I was born when my mother was only 14. She almost died. And I was put in the incubator for two months. And then, of course, later on, my brother was born and my sister was born. So she had three kids before, my, before she was even 20. But at the age of four, the only thing I knew was my dad bashing my mother every day. 
if he saw footprints by the yard, he says there was a man coming to have sex with you. So my mother would be beaten severely. And as a small boy, I would try to save my mother. But my dad would push me aside day in and day out. Sometimes she would scream, you know, go under the table, but my dad would whip her like he was whipping a donkey. And so one day he grabbed my hand as I was trying to save my mother. He pushed me aside. I hit against the wall, and my whole head was full of blood. And I turned to look at my father. I didn't blink, but I just looked at him straight and he said to me, why are you looking at me like that? And I didn't answer him. But in my mind, this is what I said. You just wait. Let me grow up and I'll kill you. I was growing up to kill my father. Because there was no father figure in the house. We can have dads in the house, but they are not real dads. They are prodigal fathers. But in the house... And how many homes today we have prodigal fathers, they are right in the house, but they don't give direction according to the principles of the Bible. <laughs> and so my father was an animal. And one day he walks out of the house, leaving my mother. She never told that he had got his pension. And then my mother, out of desperation, no food in the house. She takes, down, she takes us downtown in Harare. She said, Steve, carry your baby sister. I'm going into the toilet. So she went into the toilet. And I was carrying my baby sister. And then one hour became two hours. Became three hours. My mother was gone. And I was crying with my little brother there. But I was crying not because my mother had gone. I was crying because my elbows were painful. I had been carrying this baby for too long. I wanted to stretch my arms, but I thought I would drop the baby and kill the baby. So the pain of my elbows, I was screaming for that pain. Then the police came and found us. They say, where is your mom? I said, she has gone to the toilet. They went to look her over and the toilet didn't find her. So they had to rush with my baby sister to the hospital. And my brother and I were taken to the orphanage. When they took our sister to the hospital and the two brothers to the orphanage, they separated the two brothers and their only sister. That took 39 years before we saw our sister again. And as we arrived at the orphanage, a welcome was being beaten on my nose by other these big bullies. And I was bleeding from my nose, so I was coming from one problem to another. And then, as I was crying, the teachers found me there. Says, why are you crying? I said, some boys have beaten me up. Said, tell me their names. I said, sir, I don't know their names. I've just arrived. Said, young boy, if you don't tell us their names, I'll spank you. And I thought he was joking. And he takes me as a boy, ties me my hands around the pole, and he slashes me 12 times. And I'm screaming for dear mercy, 
and I was waiting myself, but thinking, oh my cry, you have mercy. But that man was cruel. And then following day, these boys would beat me again, and I would have 12 slashes. And I would hardly sleep on my back. I could hardly sit on my back. The pain was unbearable. But the fifth day was different. I went to a toilet outside, and I, I, I was in pain, and I stood there in the toilet. I started shouting against God. I said, God, if you are there, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Why did you create me to suffer like this? And then the teachers heard me. I said, young boy, who told you to shout against God? But they didn't realize this day was different, completely different. And when they got me, in my mind I said, Stephen, from now on never cry. From now on never cry. So he ties me around the pole. He gives me 12 slashes, but not a drop of tears in my eyes. I stood still, taking every pain. And when he looked in my eyes, they were dry. He said, young boy, you think you are tough? So he gives me another 12, but not even a drop of a tear in my eyes. When a young boy doesn't cry, you have created the most dangerous boy. Tears are very good to let them out. If you suppress tears, even the best counselor can never reach out to your heart. So many people have told themselves, I'm too tough to cry. But actually, you did the worst damage of your life. It is health to cry. Release those tears. But when you suppress them, some, either you are raped, you never cried when you are raped, or abused, you never cried. Even now, you feel like a stone inside. There's no that softness because those tears became dangerous, became poisonous. So I left the orphanage, leaving my brother there, whom I was going to find after so many years. And when I left, I was going out to kill myself. I was looking at ways how I would climb up and throw myself over the tree or how I could die. So as I was walking aimless in the bush, I found an old road uh, which was abandoned and I found a bridge. And under that bridge I started separating the sand, sleeping in the hollow, and cover, my, cover myself with the sand. And that became my permanent home from the age of five. And I left that place when I was 21 years old. And that became my house, my home. And uh, at the age of about eight or so, I started smoking cigarettes. And at the age of ten, I formed a little gang of these other orphans who were like my family. And we, I created that gang that became 20, 30, 40. And I had a knife, my knife which I had named the dragon. Each mark on that knife told you how many times I disturbed someone. And all what I was doing was to take out this, these tears which I got from the orphanage, but they were going in the bodies of other people. 
the gangs you see in the city of Johannesburg, just look at their background. Where are they coming from? Some, they were abused, hurt. So they revenge in what they do. So when I became a gang leader, breaking into homes, I said, I hit everything to do with the Bible. I say to myself, anyone who comes with the Bible in my presence, give him two things, a knife or a bullet. So I had two revolvers. And I hated anything to do with the Bible, to do with God. Jesus to me was a white man's God. There was no way I could believe in this Jesus who was a white man's God. If he was truly God, why was the devil painted black. So I said, well, if devil was painted black, Jesus for the white man, so I'll kill every white man. So I hated every white man with passion. I said, you only greet a white man when you kill him first, then greet him later. And so, you are very safe, don't worry today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when white people are frightened, they become red. <laughs> so suddenly I could see red color coming. <laughs> and when black people were, <laughs> we become pitch black. <laughs> yeah, so I said I'll kill every white man. Then I was red with passion, hating every white man. And then I said, the first person I need to find was to kill my father first. Then when I kill my father, then I would kill my mother. Because I didn't apply for me to be born in their marriage. They brought me in this world to suffer like this. So those two people have to die first. And so as I was hunting for my father, hunting for my mother... And every time when I didn't see them that day, I would go in the town in the parking area with a screwdriver, scratch all the cars, every paint of a brand new car. I would scratch every car, puncture every car. It was trying to let out this anger out of me. If I didn't see anybody just to shoot for like a game, I would shoot at anybody just like a game. And I told my gang of 20 boys, 40 boys, I said, if you laugh in my presence, I'll kill you. And they, I was unpredictable. I was always quiet. I never laughed. And I told my gang, if you laugh, I'll kill you. And so one day, my, one of my friends was laughing, running around the corner, and I followed him. I said, why are you laughing? See, I was laughing about and I pulled out my gun and shot him on his leg. And he was pleading for his life in pain. I said, I told you never to laugh. So that's the type of a boy I'd become. Never laughed. I was always quite unpredictable. And so I said, guys, every church building has to be blown by bombs. Every church building. Because that's where they are brainwashing all their, you know, their heads and so on with this junk called Christianity. And so, as we went on, 
at the age of about 15. I mean, they are 13. A young girl came to, to share a testimony with me. He said, brother, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I was quiet. And she came closer, and I was quiet. And when she came closer, she says, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I pulled out my knife like lightning and went on her back and stepped there. I said, you never tell me about this junk called Jesus. As she was falling down, I was about to finish her off. My friend was shouting, Stephen, what are you doing? And I pulled out my gun and shot my friend on the leg. I said, you never tell me to, to keep quiet. So at the age of 15, I joined Robert Mugabe as a freedom fighter in Zimbabwe. And trained in the bush where to say, communism is good, communism is good. Kill every white man. And so that was where I became with my AK-47 and all my bombs and so on. At the age of 20, I was given a TNT bomb to go and plant it at the bank where many white people used to go. That on Monday morning, as white people are going in the bank, quarter past eight, the bomb would go off. So I was so excited that day that I would kill many white people. So as we were going towards that bank, by the roadside we saw a big massive tent. And it was from Soweto in Johannesburg. And I said, now guys, they are singing about Jesus. Before we go and plant the bank, uh, the bomb at the bank, let's go and surround this tent. Get our AK-47, kill every person inside. There were about three, 4,000 people inside. I said, just pray the bullets to everyone. If you see your mother, she has to die. If you see your sister, she has to die. So we got there to the tent and they were singing choruses. One of my friends said, Steve, you said 7 o'clock, but this is 5 to 7. I said, what do we do in five minutes? So I said, well, let's go inside and look at the people about to kill for two minutes only. So I said, okay. So we went inside for two minutes only. And what a big mistake to give God two minutes. <laughs> so we went inside. We sat at the last bench. And they were singing choruses in Zulu. Man, it was glorious. You know, South Africans sing well. And as they were singing, we sang out of tune at the back to disturb the meeting. And one preacher came and touched me and said, please, boys, keep quiet. And I pulled out my knife to this preacher. I said, preacher, if you touch me now, I'll kill you right away. And my friend turned towards me. They were shocked. Everyone was shocked. I said, what? Why? He said, but you have just warned the preacher. Because that was not my character. When I pulled out a knife, I would use it. If I pulled out a gun, I would shoot. I never warned anybody. But they were shocked that I warned this preacher. It's only now I understand that this man was protected by ghost angels. And then suddenly he walks away and I started tossing my knife up and down and everyone was terrified. Each time they look backwards, at this gang, they were terrified because my, the name of my gang was called the Black Shadows. 
nobody ever met with the black shadows in the streets walked away alive. That was the most dangerous gang to meet with. And that's why I wrote my book called Out of the Black Shadows. That's the name of my book. You can Google it. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, the full story, you find it there. So, after this uh, preacher went away and we, we started making noise, then they invited a, a girl from Soweto to share her testimony. Man, she was gorgeous. She was very pretty. She put me off balance completely. And I said, how can a pretty girl become a Christian? You know, pretty girls do, don't become Christians. And in my thinking, I used to think Christianity is for the old, old grannies who are about to die. Or maybe very ugly girls with the wrong figures. Boys don't love them because they are too awkward, so they have to be Christians. So I said, now how can a pretty girl like this become a Christian? But as she shared her testimony, there was an amazing thing was what was happening. She was glittering like, like she had bulbs around her. She, the glow, man, was, it was even affecting my eyes. And I said to my friend, you look that girl shining. He said, no, she's not shining. And I said to my friend on my left, look that girl shining. He said, no, she's not shining. I said, what type of eyes do you, do you have, you guys? Can't you see she's shiny? But I mean, it was, she had something which I couldn't put on my finger. Then she invites immediately after a testimony, this evangelist from Johannesburg. This man stood up. He read two verses, Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. He read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty you may be rich in Christ. And he kept quiet. And he started sobbing. He started sobbing. Tears on his Bible said, now this, this is the second confusion. The pretty girl was the first confusion. Now, how come the preacher reading the Bible Instead of preaching, he's crying. Why is he crying? And then he said, I'm crying because the Spirit of God is telling my spirit tonight that many people seated here tonight are going to die. I said, uh-oh, oh, who told him what we're about to do? <laughs> I said, guys, get ready with your guns. So I took one of my guns from the back, tucked it in front. We started making our hand grenades ready. And then this man he says, tonight, I'm going to talk about God's transaction. You give your life to Jesus. And in return, he'll give you four things. So I'm thinking, oh, if I give one, he gives me four. So the preacher says, number one, he will forgive you all your sins you have committed. Number two, he will give you the joy. The world can never give you that joy. Number three... He'll give you the peace, that tranquility, that peace the world can never give. Number four, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Then in my mind I said, well, that's a good deal. 
If I give him one, he gives me four. So I'm thinking about this deal. Then he says, let me show you how he did this transaction. Jesus was rejected when he was in his mother's womb. Even the day of being born, every house never accepted him. Even hotels. But it was animals in the, in the, in the you know, crawl there. Animals gave him space for Jesus to be born there where it was stinking with the, with the dung and so on. In my mind, I said, yes. I can identify without Jesus. Here I am sleeping under a bridge, eating from the garbage bins. I grew up eating from the garbage bins. And then he says, Jesus had a borrowed donkey. Jesus had a borrowed house for his last supper. Jesus was crucified on a borrowed cross. And Jesus was buried in a borrowed grave. And I said to my mind, how can Jesus have everything borrowed for my sake? Then he said he went to heaven, sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But Jesus, the same Jesus, is coming back. But when he comes back, he will be the God of judgment. That's the part of the message I didn't like. Because when he spoke about the judgment of God, he would talk all murderers, all drug addicts, and so on. Each time he's mentioning this kind of sins, I didn't like his finger as he's pointing that finger like it is coming direct to me. And he would point this way like the finger is bending towards me. And he would point ours and like it's bending towards me. And every time he pointed that finger like it's hitting my chest. So I pulled out my knife to kill my friend. I said, I will kill you. Why did you go and tell the preacher about my sins? And he took out his knife. He said, I also kill you. You told him about mine too. So we faced each other with our knives. And that preacher went on in tears as he preached the gospel. And I said, okay, now I'll be more clever than the preacher. So this time when you do like this, I would duck down behind someone's back and sit up. When the finger comes, I would duck down. So I was going up and down, up and down. And that day I was a good Muslim, I think. <laughs> and so as, as, as he went on preaching, I was under deep conviction. And at the back, I started crying on top of my voice. And I picked up my AK-47 and all my bombs, and I started walking forward. As he was still preaching, I didn't wait for those invitations and so He was still preaching, and I went and knelt down at his feet and grabbed his legs. His trousers were soaked wet with my tears that night. And I was smelling, real smelling, stinking. I had, my hair was uncombed, full of lice. I never had a bath for many months coming from the bush. As a gorilla fight, I was stinking, smelling. And when he was winding up the message, another rival gang came to the tent, threw the bombs into the tent, blew up the tent. There were dead bodies all over. 
A hand was there, a leg was there, I mean, blood everywhere. Every car outside was set ablaze. No car survived that night. And I was still holding on the legs of the preacher. The police were shooting tear gas. And soldiers, the fire brigade, and were soaked wet inside. The tent had bent up to the top. You could see the stars. And this group of preachers started singing that song, There's power, there's power in the blood. And I was still holding. And I was the only boy out of 3,000 people who remained behind. Two of my gang members were blown by those explosives, including the one who said you also told the preacher. He died that night. I have these questions, why me? God among my friends, why me? Why did you save me among my friends? Why they went to eternity without God? These are the questions, maybe there will be time to ask questions in heaven. But as it was quiet, our, this preacher came to me, and I remember that night he had to use his handkerchief because of the smell of my body. And he says, young man, why have you remained behind? I said, can your Jesus save a sinner like me? He says, yes, God loves you. The moment he says God loves you, I pulled out my gun, pointed on his forehead, shaking as a preacher. I'll kill you right now. Never tell me about God. I don't like this God. Where was he while where I've been suffering under a bridge? I want your Jesus you've been preaching about tonight. For me, I thought God was different. Jesus was different. <laughs> then this preacher, as I told him my story, he started crying. He said, young boy, let me tell And my hand went down slowly. He said, a young 14-year-old girl in Soweto. She was coming from school. A man with a knife got hold of that girl, forced her in the bush, raped her several times, left for dead. But she revived. She became pregnant out of that rape. Never told her stepmother. And then nine months later, in the public toilet in Soweto, she gave birth. And she took that child, still with the umbilical cord, forced the baby in the, in the toilet and ran away. And another woman was going to help herself, found the baby, pulled out that baby, rushed to the hospital, and the baby survived. He said, that baby's me. He said, you were thrown away in the streets, but I was thrown away in the toilet. I saw his life, and my life were identical. And he read to me Psalms 27, verse 10. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. The Lord will receive me. And I said, Jesus, come into my life. Change me today. I'm tired of drugs. I'm tired of killing people. God save me tonight. It was like something came from the top of my head. Cleansed me right deep inside me. Man, although I was smelling outside, but inside, the glory of God entered. The glory of God entered. And this time I was crying with, I mean, tears of joy. The peace he talked about flooded my heart. The joy. I was just crying because of this joy. 
And then I went to my bridge where I used to sleep. I knelt down. I said, Lord Jesus, I'm not educated. I don't know how to write, read, but you have saved my life. What do I do with my life? And the Spirit of God came upon me with such power. And I was just saying, God is enough. It is enough. And a voice behind me says, Stephen. And I turned around and the voice sounded from everywhere. And it says, Stephen, I will open your eyes. And I will send you to many nations you do not know. You are looking at someone who has gone around the globe, every part of the world. Only 23 countries yet to go. God has taken me and I've never paid for one single ticket. When God, when God calls you, he pays. But when you go on your own, you pay. <laughs> Amen. I want to close. I want to close and uh, I went to the police following day, got in the bus and I'm full of joy. In the bus, I was thinking. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you what happened to me last night. And I was bubbling with joy. And one strong man he said, shut up. We don't preach on Mondays. He pushed me out of the bus. And I was dusting myself. So I said, this man is so lucky that I'm born again today. <laughs> 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 so the next bus pulled in I got into the next bus and I said I'll tell the driver driver last night I came to Jesus blah blah I was, and many people started crying in the bus and one lady said young boy what must we do I said well I don't know <laughs> you know I was less than 24 hours in the Lord but when we got downtown I forced all the people who are crying. I said, let's kneel down. He said, do you mean while people are walking? I said, yes, I just did it last night. So I forced them to pray. And they were all confessing their sins, accepting Jesus. And out of those people, three are full-time pastors preaching the gospel. I won them when I was only less than 24 hours in Christ. And I've never stopped ever since. When I went to the police, after eight hours of interrogation, they said, if your Jesus has forgiven you, we forgive you too. So they gave me money to buy myself a Bible. Heaven had forgiven me. The government had forgiven me. And then I went to buy myself my Shona Bible, which I didn't know how to read. But I enjoyed flipping the pages this time. And I said, the day I'll read this book, I'll read it and read it and read it. So it was under the bush, fasting for two, two weeks. Please, God, open my, my eyes. You said that you'll be my mother. You'll be my father. Please open my eyes. And God opened my, my eyes that day. And today I can speak ten languages fluently, although I didn't go to school. No education, but God is God. And God has picked me up and, and uh, traveled around the world, preached in all the continents around the world, and preached to prime ministers, to presidents across Africa, 
preached in parliament in Australia, preached at the White House in the United States. Two years ago, I was invited to go and preach at Pentagon. Pentagon is a no-go area of all the CIA intelligence and the top military guys, and President Obama was there. I preached on Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And you know, to see these generals in tears, broken before God. And from there I went to preach at Harvard University and then to Stanford and other universities in the United States. And then I ended up preaching at the memorial of Martin Luther King. About 40,000 African-American guys to celebrate Martin Luther King. And I was the speaker there. And nobody who didn't go to school. But God can pick you up from your situation and make you a somebody. And that's what Jesus did. And I close with this. Don't worry, in Africa we close many times. <laughs> but this is Johannesburg closing. I was preaching in Harare in the uh, football stadium. 40,000 people. As I preached there, thousands of people coming forward. And I was praying for the sick. Young boys throwing, throwing their guns, knives, uh, witchcraft things, and so on. As I prayed for deliverance and so on, one woman jumped up. I'm healed. My sickness is gone. Then I said, come tomorrow. The meetings are going on. He says, no, I want to accept Jesus. I went and knelt down with that lady. She accepted Jesus as a savior. I said, God bless you. Come again. He said, no, I've got one more problem. I said, what is your problem? I said, from the way you have shared your story, you are my son. And that was my mother. 51 years later, the same boy she dumped, the same boy, 51 years later, leads her to Jesus. What a glorious moment. <laughs> Glory to God. It wasn't easy to forgive my mother. No, it wasn't easy. But I had to forgive my mother from the heart to have that inner healing to take away the past. Then later on found my father when he was 98 and then forgave him. And then he died when he was 114. And then I led him to Jesus, the same boy. Little did she know that this boy I'm dumping today will speak to preach to George Bush, to Obama, to John Major in London, at the, at the 10 Downing Street. She, she didn't know that this boy would travel around the world. But God had to give me that inner healing to be able to forgive my mother and my father. But more so, it was a white Africana who picked me up from the streets. The Africano gave me the same Mlungu. It was this man who gave me the first birth of my life. It was this Africana the very people I hated most. But God used an Africana to pick me up, to give me hope, to buy me new clothes, to give me first bed and bed sheets. And so that's why now when I say I love 
all Africaners, I mean it. Because I know where God has taken me out. And I know who I am today. And I know where I'm going. And maybe you are here. There's somebody you have never forgiven. You are still hurting. Even your mother or father or stepfather. Oh, you have never had committed yourself passionately to the Lord. You are still both sides of the world. There's no fire inside you. There's no passion for you. Inside you, God can touch you. You know, I was coming from uh, Deben, and, and I, I was all, I'm always, even in the plane, witnessing to someone. I don't sit in the plane and zip my mouth. And when I go through immigration, I use the passport to talk about Jesus. And about 11 immigration officers have come to the Lord. (laughs) You know, I don't zip my mouth. I'm passionate. I'm, I'm on fire for God. I love him so much because I know where I'm coming from. If you know where you come from, you are sure about your present identity and you know where you are going. So if you are not sure, you zip your mouth, there's no fire, there's no enthusiasm about Christ. It's just but like religion. There's no passion to win souls. Maybe God has brought you here for a purpose. You say, God, rekindle that fire. Sharpen me today. Or maybe you have never been born again. You say, God, what you did to Stephen, you can do it to me. Maybe there's someone still hurting. You really need to forgive someone. You really need to forgive someone. You say, God, touch me. As the praise team are singing, I want you to walk forward. You say, God, I want to surrender my life afresh to you. Just come forward. I was alone when I walked forward. I don't mind whether it's one person. But when you say you are serious with God, you say, God, I want you to touch me. Stand up, just come forward. Shall we all stand? Just stand up and come forward. Say, God, I want you to touch me. Maybe South Africa is waiting for you. You you heard about the dress of the nation, which is an embarrassment. Maybe South Africa is waiting for you. God wants to anoint you, to touch you. Just come forward and say, God, if you want to use any person, here I am today. Just walk forward. Say, God, I want to rededicate my life afresh to you. I want a new oil, new anointing. Just walk forward and humble yourself. I was all by myself when I came forward. Don't look at yourself as a veteran. We don't want to see you know, veteran Christians. We want Christians who are fresh every day. We say, God, here's my life. Just come forward. Hallelujah. Maybe it's your marriage. You want to re- renew your marriage. You say, God, I want to come. Me and my wife to renew our vows again in front. Just come forward with your marriage. Hallelujah. Oh, you are a father. Say, God, make me a real father, not a prodigal father. 
but make me a father according to the scriptures. Just come forward and say, God, please touch my life.